grateful for the Fox family. Continue to pray for them and what God is doing. And uh, for those of you who couldn't lip read at the very beginning, we may be able to have that for you another time. But uh, we're going to have a couple of other videos as the month moves along as well. But uh, continue to pray for those that are on the mission field from our church. And we just praise God that there are folks who are out there and willing to be used of God. And it sounds like God's doing some amazing things there. Amen. So continue to pray for them, and we're grateful. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark. Today we're going to return to the a series of King Jesus uh, from the Gospel of Mark. Last time, if you remember, about a month or so ago, uh, we were in Mark, and we looked at the story about the disciples being in a boat, and they were getting ready to cross the sea. And uh, Jesus had told them uh, that they were going to cross over to the other side. But in the midst of crossing that sea of Galilee, a terrible storm uh, came up, if you will recall. And uh, as the storm comes up, Jesus is asleep at the stern and uh, the disciples panic and they go and they wake up Jesus and Jesus gets up and he calms the storm and the sea uh, is calm as well. Well, today, when we pick up in chapter 5, we see that the disciples now have crossed over to the other side. And as they get out of the boat, they're confronted by a demon-possessed man. We see here that Satan and his demons have this man in bondage. And we see that the man here who meets them at the shore needs freedom. And he needs real freedom. In our passage, there are many characters in our passage today who want some kind of freedom, but we'll see that there is only one who can really offer freedom, and that freedom that he offers is real freedom, and the person who offers it is King Jesus. We're going to look at Mark 5, 1 through 20, and we're going to see what happens in, as the demon-possessed man encounter, encounters King Jesus. And as we look at this, may we also learn of his power the power of Jesus to make us free. And in doing so, let us also remember what we have been freed from as well. So if you uh, have your Bibles open, if you're able today, we'd love for you to, to stand in honor and reverence to the Word of God as I read for you Mark 5, 1 through 20. The Bible says, Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, When he'd come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him, and he cried out with a loud voice, and he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked, What is your name? And he answered, said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. There were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they drowned in the sea. And so those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who'd been demon possessed and had the, and had legion, had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And so he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God this morning and we pray, Lord, that you take it and apply it to our hearts and our lives where we understand how great and awesome you are and how great and awesome you are to have freed us from the power of darkness. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in every heart and life today. Again, we pray for those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior that this would be that time of salvation. But Lord, may your spirit have the freedom to move in every heart and in every life. Lord, may we sense that you're revealing yourself to us in powerful and profound ways. Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be exalted and you to be magnified. And so, Lord, may you have your way in us as we break open the word of God together. Lord, I'm not worthy to stand before you as a messenger, as your servant. But, Lord, I praise you that you have set us apart and uses us and use us for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that you would be exalted. Lord, it's not about Joey. It's all about Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives as you speak to each of us here today. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And I pray, Father, the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, the first thing you see the outline in your bulletin today, there's the five points. We've got a lot to cover in a little bit of time, but we're going to jump on it as quick as we can. But the first thing that I want you to see here is the destructive ways of Satan. We're going to see in this passage of Scripture what Satan can do to people. In verses 2 through 5, again, we see in this chapter that when he had come out of the boat, that's Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had this, his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. Shackles had been broken in pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. And night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs. He was crying out, cutting himself with stone. So what we're seeing in the picture of this man is the ultimate character of our enemy, the devil. This man is in a hopeless situation. This man who's demon-possessed is helpless to help himself. And even though, now watch this, even though he is strong enough to break the chains that bound him, he is not strong enough to expel the demons from his body. Satan and his demons had control of this man and he is in bondage. Because of what Satan had done in this man's life, he was unclean. He was defiled. He, he was living among the tombs, the Bible says, meaning the graves in that day. Or, or in those, that day, it was the caves. And he was in this area, and he was possessed by demons. He was defaced, meaning that he cut himself to, to possibly to try to die, or, or it was some way of trying to find relief from the bondage that he was feeling. But he had descended into a life of filth as he was completely without clothing, according to the account in Luke 8. And he was isolated from his family and his former friends, and he lived in terror, and he was a terror to the whole region. He was like a wild animal that could not be tamed. 
And friend, as we look at the picture of this man, this is the picture of the bondage that Satan and the demons can have in a person. But I want you to understand that it's also a vivid, destructive, uh, a vivid picture of the destructive ways of Satan and the devil's desire. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we're warned to be sober, to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, friends, listen, Satan's ways are are to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he seeks to torment and he seeks to destroy this man in our passage of scripture today. So how does somebody end up like this man? Well, you know, we really don't know what happened in this man's life, but it's not likely that he was born this way. Chances are that as a baby, his parents nurtured him and raised him and had high hopes for him. But somewhere along the way, we can only speculate that he probably crossed the line, possibly dabbling in some pagan ritual, some satanic scheme, going after some idol or dealing with some sorcery. And as he did that and crossed that line, his life was changed. And because of his willingness to cross that line, whatever it was, it made him available to demon possession and he lost much. Friends, I want to tell you something. The same today happens as people sell out to the devil. Whether they sell out to the devil today with some addiction or some sexual immorality, among other things, they lose much. They lose comfort of home. They lose the fellowship of family and friends. They lose a sense of decency. They lose a reputation. They lose self-control. They lose peace and they lose purpose. But the devil will lie to us in the midst of this and he will tell us that it's okay, that we deserve it, that we need it. And friends, if we are not careful, then we will find ourselves also in bondage. In our world today, even today, listen, in our world today, Satan and sorcery and demons and devilish things are portrayed in a positive light through media and TV and movies. But we must heed the warning of God. 1 Peter 5, 9 tells us to resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world telling us that we are to resist the devil. Again, in James 4, 7, the Bible tells us to therefore submit to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the bottom line when it comes to the devil, friends. Don't play with the devil. Don't play with the devil's ways. Don't snuggle up to Satan, but rather the Bible tells us to resist him. Oh, but pastor, we, we have authority over the devil and as believers. I ain't scared of no devil. Well, praise God. And you know, and that's true. Greater is he that is in me, the, in me than in he that is in the world. And that is so true. Amen? Amen. Well, let me tell you something. If I see a copperhead or a rattlesnake and I'm holding a pistol or a hoe, I've got authority over that snake. But I tell you what, I'm not going to pick up that snake and play with it. Because if I pick up the snake and play with it, if you play with the snake, friends, you are likely going to get bit. 
And if you play with the devil, you will likely pay a price. Amen. Amen. The destructive ways of Satan is to strike, to kill, to destroy, to steal. And we see that that's what happens in the demons in this man. And those demons wanted the freedom. They wanted freedom, but they wanted freedom to do with this man as they pleased. And so we see the destructive ways of Satan here. But secondly, we also see the disappointing works of society. Now, as we just read, this man had been broken. This man had broken the chains. He had broken the shackles that were on his wrist and on his feet. Well, he didn't put those on there himself. And the Bible tells us also here that no one could tame him, which tells us apparently some people had tried to tame him. So in other words, society had tried all that they could to subdue this man, to tame him, maybe to fix him, but they couldn't. So instead, they wanted freedom from him and his terrorizing ways, and so they left him alone in the cemetery. You know, friends, listen, as I looked at that this week and studying it and going through this in the passage, this really is a picture of the disappointing works of society, isn't it? Society, listen, society really cannot do anything to fix or solve the problems that are caused by sin and Satan. These fixes are like the cords or the restraints on the demon-possessed man. They will only last for a short time, and they are not the ultimate solution to the problems of today. The problem of sin, friends, here's here's a problem that we have because of sin, Because sin took place in the Garden of Eden, because we're under the culture of sin, because we're under the nature of sin, we're in a sin-cursed world, sin-sick society, here's a problem of sin. We get older and we die. I know that's hard to believe. I know we don't like to think about that, but every day that I get up, I realize I'm older. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? I'm getting a little bit older. I used to could run around outside and kick the soccer ball with my kids, but with my grandchildren who were with me for the past couple of days, I realized I ain't what I used to be. <laughs> What's the problem? The problem is we're getting older. Why are we getting older? Well, we're headed toward this thing called death because of sin. And society, look, society is constantly looking for the fountain of youth. How can we not age? How can we not get older, friends? The fixes that they have, this fountain of youth, which is elusive, the fixes are only temporary. There's another problem of sin, and that's rebellion against God, having self-centeredness. It started in the garden, it continues to this day. There is this rebellion where we rebel against God, we're disobedient to him, and we're centered on self. But society, however, is pressing towards some utopia. Society continues to press for peace on earth and peace in the world. And the fixes that they come up with are fragile and they break very easily. But, and understand that no amount of profound legislation, no powerful leader will ever bring total peace on earth. Because of sin and Satan, we live in a fallen world where there will be war, there will be hatred, and there will be fighting. Society cannot fix this. There have been some applaudable attempts, but even those are often short-lived. 
Because of sin, because of death, one of the things that happens because of sin in the world is that there is disease. And so another example is the cure for all kinds of diseases. Scientists are doing a great job of finding some cures, but it seems as soon as one disease is eradicated through a vaccine or through a miracle drug, another disease appears. Just when you think that you've heard it all, you hear about this thing called Ebola. And just as soon as you begin to hear about Ebola being going away, now you hear about Zika. I mean, it is just crazy, isn't it? We live in a fallen world that is under the curse of sin. And no matter what society does, friends, we can't fix it. Well, bless your heart, pastor. You just really made my day today, making me feel good about life. Well, friends, I'm sorry, but it's just the truth. Amen. It's just the truth. Society sees problems, but their solutions, their fixes are only temporary because we live in a world that is under the curse of sin and Satan's rule. Society wants to be free. Society wants to be free of its problems. It wants to be free of its inconvenient difficulties. But like the ones here in our scripture who are trying to take care of their problems of the demons, the demon-possessed man, These works are disappointing and often fail. But friends, Jesus never fails. And he is the fix and he is the solution to every problem we face today. Jesus is the answer. Which brings us to the third point here. And that is this. The delivering wonders of the Savior. Let's look at verses 6 through 13, and we see here that when this demon-possessed man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshiped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And so Jesus said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, what's your name? And he answers him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. And now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, so all the demons begged him saying well send us to the swine that we may enter them and at once Jesus gave them permission and then the unclean spirits went out entered the swine there's about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they drowned in the sea now what we want to see here is first we want to see some things about the demons here and how they reacted to Jesus First off, we see in verse 6 how they saw Jesus from afar. They ran and they worshiped him. They knew who Jesus was. The demons knew who Jesus was. Not only did they know who he was, but they recognized the authority of Jesus. It tells us that that he ran and worshiped him. And that word for worship is not the kind of worship that we're thinking, but rather it just simply means that he fell down to the ground, head to the dirt. But it was a rather conventional sign of submission to royalty or authority. The demon knew who was in charge here. He also acknowledged who he was, calling him by his full name. And if you remember a few weeks ago when we first started this uh, this series, we talked about the the demon-possessed man who was in synagogue who used the full name of Jesus in order to try to get authority over Jesus. But, of course, it didn't work, and it doesn't work here either. But he acknowledges who he is. He says, you're Jesus, son of the most high God. And the demon also knew what his ultimate fate was. He tells him here in this passage in verse 7, he implores Jesus Do not torment me. It sounds like the demon knows something that's coming his way. 
And in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, in that same uh, uh, story, in that uh, gospel, it tells us that the demon begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Uh, they knew what the, the demon knew what the ultimate fate was. The ultimate fate would take place. But Jesus is saying, not yet. That ultimate fate is not happening yet. It is not happening yet. But the other thing I want us to see here too is that the demon asked permission to move to the swine instead. Do you notice that as well? He said, uh, uh, demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And then at once Jesus gave them permission. Now, what does that, what does that tell us about Jesus and the demons? Well, I want to tell you, it tells us this. Jesus is superior and the demons are inferior. It tells us that Jesus is the king and the demons must abide by his word. It tells us that the Satan and demons can do nothing without the permission of God. Amen. That's what it tells us. Now, even in all of this, we see that the man is, is helplessly, hopelessly in bondage to the power of Satan and the demons. And as Jesus tells the demon to come out and asking his name, the demon says in verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, the word Legion itself was a number of Roman soldiers in that day that equaled up to six. And so it is possible that there were 6,000 demons working as one force in this one man. Well, pastor, I just don't see how that's possible. There couldn't have been that many in one man. Well, we do know that there had to have been at least 2,000 because it was that many swine uh, that were possessed by the demons and went down into the, the sea. But here's the main point. You ready for the main point? Say yes. Jesus delivers this man from this bondage. That's the main point. And when Jesus delivers, he changes the whole man. Look at verse 15 there. It tells us that when, he's, that when these people came to Jesus, they saw this one who had been demon-possessed, and he had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The man who had been demon-possessed has now been freed from Satan's bondage. He now has peace, and he has been restored to life. This man who is sitting here with Jesus is calm. He is clothed. He's cleaned up. He's carrying on conversation. He is like a different man. Listen, friends, when Jesus saves us and frees us from the power of sin and the power of Satan, he calms us with the peace that passes all understanding. He clothes us with the robes of his righteousness. He cleans us up, forgiving us and making us clean, pure and holy. He restores our relationship to holy God so that we can carry on conversations with our Father in heaven. Listen, friends, Jesus saves and he saves us to the uttermost as we are no longer longer the same, but we are new creations in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in Colossians 1, 13, it tells us this, that he, that's Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness 
and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, or He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Friends, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He saves to the uttermost. Oh, the delivering wonders of the Savior. So, Pastor, I got a question for you. Why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the swine? You know, that is a great question. In verse 13, it says, At once Jesus gave them permission, then the unclean spirits, those demons, went out, entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. This is what a lot of commentaries think, and what I think is a good reason why he allowed the demons to go into the swine is that Jesus, in allowing this to take place, he allowed the man, the community, friends, and also us today to get a good look at the immensity of evil and the destructive power of Satan from which this man had been freed. You see, friends, listen. I'm not sure that we fully grasp what we have been freed from in our salvation. Where would we be without Jesus? Where would this man have been without Jesus? Satan's desire is to destroy and to place in bondage. Jesus came to give us life and real freedom. The Bible says in John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That, my friends, is real freedom. Amen? Amen. That's real freedom. And so what we see here is that real freedom comes from Jesus, and he is able to deliver. We see the destructive ways of Satan, the disappointing works of society, the delivering wonders of the Savior, and now we see, fourthly, the distressed workers of the swine. Look at verses 14 and following. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed, and in his right mind they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him, Jesus, to depart from their region. I read that and I think, seriously? You want Jesus to leave from your region after this which has taken place? They can see, they go to the edge of the cliff and they look and they see the sea and they see that there's 2,000 dead pigs floating in the sea. And they see this graphic picture of what the devil and demons do seeking to destroy people right there in the picture of the pigs. And then they look and they see this man sitting in his right mind, sitting there beside Jesus who was demon-possessed. He now in his right mind. And they see what not only the devil is able to do in the demons, but now they can also see what Jesus is able to do and that this man is completely healed and no longer in bondage to the demons. But they want Jesus to leave makes you scratch your head and say, what in the world are these people thinking? They're thinking Jesus needed to leave because it was, it was just causing too much trouble. It was just causing too much commotion. You see, friends, their concern was not for the man, but for the disruption of their routines. 
Their concern was for the loss of their business. Their concern was the loss of revenue that they're dealing with. Their concern was they were uncomfortable with the spiritual power of Jesus. And the Bible here tells us that they were afraid, afraid of what would happen if Jesus stayed there. You know, I got to thinking about that and I couldn't help but to be reminded of an old preacher one time I heard say these words. He said, you know, I have prayed for real revival. I have prayed for real revival. But in truth, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that if the Lord brought real revival, that the church could handle it. I couldn't help but to think about that. About these people, when Jesus showed up, they just couldn't handle it and they didn't want him to hang around. And I got to asking some questions to myself and I got to thinking, what if, what if Jesus showed up and real revival broke out? What if spiritual awakening really did take place? What if the glory of God broke through to our stubborn hearts and it caused us to be inconvenienced with our schedules and our routines? I wonder, could we handle it? I'm afraid that too often we pray, Lord, bring revival. Lord, bring awakening. Lord, bring a real movement of God. But Lord, do it on our terms. Do it on our terms so that, so, because Lord, you know, we really want revival to happen. But Father, you know that we're so busy. And we've got so many things that we, we've got to do. We're so much on my calendar. Lord, we want revival, but, but Lord, I still got to watch my show tomorrow night. Lord, we want revival. Now, I really pray for it, but Lord, you know my kids have got to play their ball games this week. Lord, Lord, I want you to move and I want awakening to happen, but, but you know that I've got to visit certain places and I've got my vacation coming up, so make sure it happens within this time frame. Isn't it true, though? And today's church, I believe, has become just like the distressed workers of the, of the swine where we say, Jesus, thank you, but, but no thanks. It's just... You know, Jesus is just too inconvenient. It's just too uncomfortable. The swine herders here wanted freedom. They wanted freedom from the work of Jesus, freedom to maintain the status quo. And friends, I believe that too many in the church are the same way where evil is rampant in our society. Jesus is able to save, but we prefer not to leave our comfort zones. May God help us. May God help us. But we see the real freedom of the king. We've seen the destructive ways of Satan, the disappointing works of society, the delivering wonders of the Savior, and the distressed workers of the swine. And then fifthly, we see the directed words to the saved. In verse 18, it tells us here that when he got into the boat, that's Jesus because he's leaving. They want him to go, so he's leaving. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So this man who, is, who had been running around the tombs, possessed by demons, unclean, filthy, who is now clothed and in his right mind, carrying, able to carry on a conversation, has been completely released from the bondage of the devil and the demons, He's been delivered from Satan. He wants to go with Jesus. Well, that's noble. That makes sense to me. He wants to be with the one 
who has saved him. But it's possible also, if you think about it, if you were that demon-possessed man in that community, in that region, maybe he also wants to be with Jesus because part of him thought it would be better to be with Jesus. Maybe it's more comfortable with being with Jesus than staying behind. Now, you think about it. After all, the demons left him to go into the swine. And so those folks may not treat him so well, even though he has changed. They could easily point their fingers at him. He may not want to deal with the ridicule or the finger pointing because he, there goes that fella, you know, the one who was demon possessed, you know, the one who was running around the tombs naked and carrying on and screaming and hollering and couldn't, nobody could tame him. Certainly, it would be better to go with Jesus than to stay behind and deal with all of that, don't you think? In verse 19 and 20, we see this. However, Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Listen, when Jesus says no, and he said no to the man, when Jesus says no, he has a better plan. Did you catch that? When Jesus says no, he has a better plan. And he had a better plan for this man. He's telling this man, he's directing this man to be my witness. To tell, he's telling him, tell your story. Give your testimony. And what would happen here is if this man does what Jesus says for him to do, this man would become the first Gentile missionary to this territory. It tells us here that he departed, began to proclaim in Decapolis. That is a Gentile territory. So he'd become the first Gentile missionary telling them, what great things the Lord has done for you. That's what Jesus said for him to tell him. Tell people what great things the Lord has done for you. Now understand that that verb, what the Lord has done for you, is in the perfect tense, it's com- which means it's a completed task. It's a finished result of some past actions. It's a permanent cure. In other words, he is telling the man that he had been freed from the power of Satan forever. This man had real freedom, the real freedom that only Jesus offers. And here's the deal. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have that same freedom as well as a believer. There's an old preacher by the name of Dr. Gordon one Sunday who brought an old beat-up rusty birdcage and sat it next to the pulpit as he gave his sermon that morning, he held up the cage and he said, you know, you might be wondering why this cage is here this morning. As a matter of fact, it's not the normal part of our service having a bird cage, but he said, I'll tell you a story about it. Several days ago, he said, I was noticing a little boy in tattered and torn blue jeans and a dirty t-shirt cap off to the side, whistling, walking down an alley and he's swinging his bird cage, but clinging to the bottom of the cage were these little field sparrows that he had caught somehow and got them into that cage. And So the preacher says, I I stopped him and I asked, I said, say, Sonny, what do you have there? And he said, well, got me some birds. He said, what are you going to do with them? I asked, oh, I'm going to mess around with them, tease them a little bit, something like that. Well, the preacher asked, he said, well, when you get tired of them, what are you going to do with them? Little boy thought for a minute, he says, well... I got me a couple of cats at home and they like birds. I 
I think I'll just let them have Adam. Uh, Dr. Gordon, the old preacher, he said his heart just went out for those little birds. So he made the little fella an offer. He said, how much do you want for them birds? Surprised, the boy said, mister, these birds ain't no good. Well, Dr. Gordon said, regardless, how much would you like for them? The little fella said, well, how about two bucks? Dr. Gordon said, sold. Dr. Gordon reached into his pocket, peeled off $2 bills. The little boy shoved the birdcage forward, pleased with his stroke of good fortune that he has $2, and the boy left. And the pastor walked a good distance away. He lifted open the little cage door, and he said, shoot, you know, shoot. And he shoved the birds out the door, and they flew free. Dr. Gordon said, the empty birdcage here you see today is the perfect illustration of how Satan has had the human race in bondage and frightened, could care less about us, deceives us, and is seeking to ultimately destroy us, loves to tease us, loves to pick on us. But Jesus Christ came not only to pay the price for our freedom, but he has set us free. And we're no longer in bondage. Now, as a believer, you cannot be demon-possessed but you can be tormented. And the devil can do all he wants to to destroy you and destroy your life, destroy your reputation. But friends, that won't happen unless we let him do that. We need to make sure that we're not going back to the ways of the world, not to the ways of the devil, but know that we have been free because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus offers real freedom. The question is, do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? Because in knowing him as Lord and Savior of your life, there's where the freedom is. It's acknowledging we're sinners in need of a Savior, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, which is repentance, and embracing or believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross for us and rose again bodily from the grave and professing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith that we are trusting Jesus to save us. As we call out to him, he saves us. And you know what? God has never broken one of his promises, ever. And he still saves to the uttermost. Just as he had power over these demons in that day, friends, he still has power over the devil today, and he can set you free from whatever the devil's got you in bondage to, whatever that is, because he is faithful. Christian, let me ask you, You have been delivered from the power of sin and Satan and you are free in Christ. The question for you is, is will you be like the man here and will you go and tell people your story? Will you live the life of holiness? Will you meet people where they are and will you point them to Jesus Christ? Because I'm here to tell you that he is the only solution to help today's problems. He is the one that we need. Will you pray for Jesus to have his way in you? Will you pray for Jesus to have his way in the church, no matter what that looks like, friends? Because Satan is out today, just as he was then, to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus is still able to save to the uttermost. Friends, I know we have an election coming up this year. And I tell you what, it's a tough one. I'll just tell you it's a tough one. But whoever wins the election, my hope is not resting in who resides in the White House. My hope is resting in who's on the throne in heaven, and his name is Jesus. 
And when we, t- we can tell people all we want about our candidate, and it may help in some ways, but ultimately the fix to our problems as a nation will not come from Washington, D.C. It will only come through Jesus Christ. And until we get serious about that, friends, then we've got a long way to go. It's time for us to get serious. And so, friends, let's get serious about praying and going and giving and being and doing and serving and telling and loving and living and following and obeying so many will come to Jesus Christ and find real freedom. That's where it is. It's in him. Let's pray together. Father, may you help us to get serious. May you help us to get serious about following you and loving you and praying for you to let your glory fall. Lord, may you have your way. Forgive us, Father, where we prayed for revival, but yet said, Lord, do it on my terms. We pray, Lord, that you would just come. Have your way in hearts and lives across our church, across our community, across our land, whatever that looks like. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. So, Lord, may you have your way. Help us to be about your business, telling that story of what you've done in our lives, how you have saved us from the bondage of Satan. He no longer has power over us and the penalty has been paid. But, Lord, also how good you are to us. And you are good. You're faithful and righteous and holy and loving. Help us to follow you, Jesus. Help us to be faithful to you in all things. As we come to this invitation, as you're dealing with people's hearts and lives, Lord, may you guide and direct us to make the decisions that you're calling us to make. Of joining this fellowship, to getting right with you, to accepting you as Lord and Savior, whatever it is that you're dealing with, to obey your call. Lord, as we come to this invitation, that we will decide to follow you always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. You come and pray. Let us pray with you in Jesus' name.